Our first scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days, and then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, A short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. Let us go also that we may die with him. What a silly thing to say, Thomas. Well, it's silly to say if you know how this story ends, which we do. Why, though, would Thomas have thought that Jesus was going off to meet Lazarus in death? Where did this idea come from? Well, first, it's important to note that earlier in the Gospel of John, Jesus has already predicted his death. He has already told his disciples that he is going to die. And if Lazarus is dead and Jesus has said he is going to die, then clearly, what did he mean by let us go to Lazarus, if not that Jesus was going to go to Lazarus and meet Lazarus and meet him in death? The disciples had seen some really amazing things so far. In the Gospel of John, they have already seen water being turned into wine, a paralyzed man by the pool being healed. They've seen the royal officials, the royal officials' son healed by a mere word from Jesus. They saw the healing of, uh, or the feeding of the five thousand. So they believed that Jesus is who he says he was. Thomas believed that Jesus is the Messiah, the Lord. And what amazes me about this is that Thomas was willing to follow Jesus, even to death. What Thomas didn't know then was that when everything seems hopeless, when it looks like sickness or fear 
or death or pain or evil is going to win, this is actually when God does his best work. And a lot of people today still don't get this. When we talk about God in theological circles, one of the things that comes up a lot is, what do you do with the problem of evil? And this thought goes something like this. God is good. God is loving. God is all-powerful. How can a good, loving, all-powerful God allow there to be evil and suffering in our world? And it's a good question. How do we wrestle with this? If God's good, he wouldn't allow evil. If God is all-powerful, he would stop pain and suffering. But this line of reasoning is based in a different reality than the one we as Christians are called to walk in. This line of reasoning forgets that God is both sovereign and loving creator. I think about parenting. I think about parenting 24-7, it seems, but especially in a situation like this. Because I love my children, I want them to be free. I want them to flourish, to grow, to prosper, to be able to someday leave my house and go out and add to society, to go out and make disciples. God loves us more than I love my children, which is really hard for me to get my head around because I love my children to the point that I would die for them. God loves us so much that he wants us to be free to love him in return. An all-powerful, loving, and good God created us and created us with freedom. This freedom allows us to love him in return, but freedom is dangerous. When I tell Lucy, Lucy, why don't you go out and play at the park? It's beautiful outside. I know a couple of things about my daughter. Thing number one, she's going to go get her coat on and get outside because she loves going to the park. Number two, she loves to swing. I have many times walked through our neighborhood, and Lucy's at the park, and I'll walk by, and that girl is swinging so high, I have to turn my head and not look because I'm about to be nauseous. And she loves to climb. And this is where freedom becomes dangerous, because I have also walked by this park and seen my daughter climbing on top of things that she should not be climbing on. Have you had an experience like this as a parent? Okay, good. At least one of you is shaking your head. Here's the thing. I want my child to learn to use her freedom wisely. I want her to experience joy. I can't tell her, Lucy, I want you to go to the park, but first I want you to get your coat on. It's below 41 degrees, so you should put some gloves on as well. By the way, when you get to the park, I want you to go sit in the swing. Not the swing that broke the other day, but the swing that we know has been good the entire time we get here. And when you swing, I would like for you to swing no higher than four feet off the ground, please. You don't need to swing any higher than you are tall. 
By the way, Lucy, go up the slide on the ladder and slide down. Do not climb back up the slide and then bump down the ladder. Do not climb on top of the circular slide because you are going to fall off and get hurt. This is not love. God is sovereign, but God is not a dictator. Benevolent dictators do not exist. God's love has given us freedom. Human freedom means we mess up, we get hurt, we experience suffering, we cause other people to suffer. If I, as a parent, know that when I send my child outside to play, that I have to be careful with the boundaries that I set, so that she experiences freedom and joy, and so that she learns to be responsible. How much more does the God who created this entire universe, who brought everything we see into being, and even things that we cannot perceive into being, anything that is, is because of God, how much more does God know how to love us. And so I find great encouragement in Thomas's words, even though my initial reaction was, Thomas, you don't get it. Thomas was willing to follow Jesus, even unto We'll continue on in the Gospel of John, chapter 11, starting at verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to go to the tomb to mourn there. 
When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? You know, one of the things I worry about today is uh, our perception of reality. Because you can't know truth if the reality that you live in is a false reality. We see it all over the place. I've read stories about children whose parents have bought into conspiracy theories and are so involved with communities that are looking for evidence of this conspiracy that they've become angry and bitter and they can't connect with their children anymore. They've become different people. I think about mental illness, my own, my own challenge, or my own struggle against depression. When you're depressed, you don't see reality quite the same. You don't see hope or joy. You don't see any reason to change. And then there's anxiety, which lots of people are experiencing right now, especially children and teenagers. And with anxiety, your problems are so overwhelming that the only way you can avoid being in pain because of the change and the problems that you see is to hide from them. Procrastination is based in anxiety. These distortions of reality matter in the life of a Christian. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when we live in a distorted reality, when we accept conspiracy theories, when we fail to be with people who are experiencing depression and anxiety, when we lose hope, we become unable to see truth. Confirmation students are here today. Yeah? Look, they're not looking at me. This is how we play our game in confirmation, because if they don't look at me, I won't call on them. You know that, right? Teachers all know if the student doesn't look at you, you won't call them. Confirmation students here in Trinity and online, confirmation mentors here at Trinity and online, what are the two greatest commandments that Jesus said there are? Okay. Good. The first answer was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment is like it. What's the second commandment? What's... Love your neighbor as yourself. If your does not bring you into deeper love with God and with your neighbors, your reality is probably a false reality, and you will not be able to experience truth. 
We are really good at not wanting to experience truth, especially in the middle of pain. But in this passage, we see Jesus enter fully and embrace the reality before him. Look, Jesus knew he was going to call Lazarus out of that tomb just a couple of minutes later, right? He knew that the people before him who were mourning and hurting were about to be filled with joy and wonder. He saw the faith of the people that he loved, even in the middle of the pain. And what was his response? He wept. Jesus never runs away from reality. Us, not so much, especially in moments of intense grief. We tend to do one of two things. We tend to want to push through the grief quickly and get it behind us so we can be normal again. Or we tend to look at the grief and be overwhelmed, knowing that nothing will ever be normal again. How could it? And in Jesus, we see kind of both, but neither in extreme. God's truth and light and God's miraculous work comes in the middle of pain. And to shy away from that pain, to shy away from grief or loss, whether it is death or illness or not being able to go to school in person or a change of job or suddenly I'm working from home and I don't have a home office, what am I supposed to do? Any moment of pain or grief or loss is an opportunity to experience the truth of God. Jesus saw the weeping and stand there stone-faced or say, stop your crying, Lazarus is about to come out of the grave. Jesus also didn't see the weeping and stand there and say, this is the human condition. Life results in death. And your life will never be the same without Lazarus. Instead, Jesus stood there taking all of this in, and he wept. We've been uh, working through the emotionally by Pete Scazzaro. Uh, and I know you've heard Pastor Caleb talk about it quite a bit. Linda's talked about it. Um, one of the things that we learn in that is in the middle of grief and pain, in the middle of change and uncertainty, we can turn to God, and God does not run away. And when we come upon for a brother who is in the middle of grief and pain and uncertainty, we can turn and look at them knowing God is with us and we don't have to encourage them to run away and we don't have to tell them to stop their grieving. But instead, we can weep with them and wait because God 
does some of his best work in the middle of grief and suffering and loss. Because the story of Lazarus doesn't end here, and our story doesn't end here either. See how he loved them, and see what great love Christ has for you. We continue on in verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been there for four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. I don't have a lot to say in response to that. There is Jesus who loved the people around him so much that he stopped and he entered into their pain. He was aware that he was also hurting. He was troubled. And yet, he did exactly what our Father called him to earth to do, to destroy death, to bring dead things back to life, to remind us that sorrow will last for a night, But joy was coming. Lazarus, come out. Can you imagine what it might have been like to be Lazarus and hear that? From beyond the grave, to hear the voice of Jesus calling you, come out. Can you imagine the surprise of the people there? (laughs) How many of you have seen a dead man for four days come back to life? Oh, oh my gosh, right? There's the body that you just wrapped up that should be stinking and rotting and dead walking out of the tomb and underneath the bandages, underneath the mourning, underneath the loss, there is new life. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what happens to Lazarus again. Like Lazarus, or like us, Lazarus probably met death again, but not with fear, because Lazarus had heard Jesus' voice. Lazarus, come out. And when you've heard Jesus' voice calling you from death, there's nothing to be afraid of anymore. 
Trinity, it's okay to mourn. This has been a really hard season, and it's okay to mourn, and it's okay to be sad. It's also okay to be hopeful. It's good to go out and get your vaccination. It is good to look forward to the time where we are going to sit here and worship without our masks on. But until then, it's good to be cautious and to continue to love each other well, six feet apart. This is the tension of our life, Trinity. God is in both places, but ultimately, no matter what, no matter how long you have to spend online at school, no matter how much you wish you could go into your office, no matter how much you wish you wouldn't go into your office because people aren't wearing their mask and it makes you nervous, Jesus' voice is going to call. Come out. God will restore our hope. We're going to celebrate the sacrament of communion together. And uh, when I say that communion is a sacrament, what I mean is this. Communion is a ritual, a habit established by Jesus. And we believe that when we do this in remembrance of Christ, that even though this just looks like bread and grape juice, that God is present. Doesn't matter if you don't feel like it. God is present. But for God to be present, the grapes have to be crushed, the bread has to be baked, and then torn apart. But Trinity, we are a people of the resurrection and a people of great hope. And in the tearing apart of the bread and in the crushing of the grapes, Jesus comes to us now. I can't explain how this works. I can't promise you're going to go out of here feeling differently. But I can promise that God's grace is available to you today. In this moment, in this bread, in that bread, in that juice, in this juice, as we gather together to celebrate the sacrament.